Speak, O Lord, until your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Lord, every time we open the scriptures together and learn from them, this is our prayer, that you would keep building your church, build in town, so that we can be a part of the whole earth being filled with your glory. Lord, we are not yet the church we ought to be. If we were, maybe we could stop listening to the word. We need to be built. Keep building us. We pray for our sister churches around the world that you would keep building your church in every place, in every land, in every language, every culture, every time so that the earth will be filled with your glory. This is our prayer today and every time we hear the scriptures opened. Amen. So we are finishing up a series called Learning to Love God's Word. And uh, the last remaining books of the Bible that we're uh, looking at in this part of the series are the letters written by the Apostle John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Today, we're experiencing something like a, a mic check, you know, test, test, one, two, three, check, check. Is this thing working right? Don't worry, I talked to Billy beforehand, so he knows it is. He's not panicking right now. The Apostle John gives us in this short letter, it's only 13 verses long, something like a quick test. When he wrote this book, he was a pastor in the city of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. Um, And he had a quick test to see if somebody's relationship with Jesus is working right. And you're going to hear him mention that as we read from this little letter today. The test is, are you walking in the truth? Now, for John, because he learned from Jesus, truth includes two halves, right doctrine, moral and spiritual truth claims about reality rooted in history and the works that God has done and what he has done through sending his son, Jesus Christ, into our world, right doctrine, right beliefs, truth claims about what is morally appropriate and what is not. That's half of walking in the truth is, is getting our truth claims right. But then there's right practice. For John, truth is not only something to be known and believed, it's something to be lived and practiced. Are we living out the truth claims we believe in love and humility and readiness to pay a high price for loving other people? We're going to hear John talk about children who passed this test. Now, I'm persuaded that he's using that language metaphorically. He's writing this letter to a a lady I I think it's a metaphor for a church, a congregation, and the children of this lady would be the members of that church. Now, possible that he's talking about a literal lady and her literal offspring, but uh, he calls her the curia. There's another way to talk about ladies in the ancient world, but he talks about her as the the lady who, who responds to the curios, the Lord Jesus, the bride of Christ, the church. And her children are passing this test, walking in the truth. But there are some other people that John calls deceivers who are not passing the test. At the heart of the test is Jesus Christ 
and what he has done to show love for us. Let's listen as the scriptures are read for us. Thank you, Megan. Today's scripture reading is from 2 John, verses 4 through 12. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may receive a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever remains in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, before we dive in, a little disclaimer, just, you know, full disclosure. The last time I preached wearing shorts, lightning hit the building. And we had to finish the service in the dark. Uh, so you have been warned. I'm not sure if, you know, God was more displeased with my legs or with the lack of a bow tie. I don't know. But you just, all right, so be prepared. Anything could happen. Actually, I'm kind of this walking billboard saying, join me at our uh, food and festivity today. It's time to have fun eating. Um, and as Holly said earlier, we'd love to see everyone there. So Laurie prayed for the, she greeted the in-town church family. Family fun day is for the whole family. So be there. All right. That's you, you've heard now. We're going to talk about what John did and then what Jesus did and why it matters as we explore this concept of walking in the truth. What did John do? Well, the first thing he did was to rejoice. You heard it, right, in verse 4. I rejoice greatly. Why? Because he, he met some children of this dear lady he's writing to, some members of another congregation, and, and he found that they were walking in the truth. And, and he rejoiced because he saw people who were actually living out uh, the truth claims that they said they believed. They were getting both halves of this truth right, right doctrine, right belief about what are the claims of Christianity and of Christ on the world, and then right practice, actually living that out in relationships of love. So John rejoiced to see that actually happening in the lives of people. And then he issued a reminder, right? He says, now I ask you, verse 5, dear lady, 
Not, not because I'm writing you a new commandment you've never heard of before, but one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. See, for John, part of what it means to walk in the truth is to love people, to, to practice and live out what we say we believe. And that gets turned into love for one another. Now, in John's context, he's first and foremost talking about loving other Christians. If we say we love Jesus, we will love the people Jesus loved. We will begin by loving those who are already part of his family. But Christians have always understood that it's never meant to end there. If we love the people Jesus loved, then we love all kinds of people with all kinds of needs, some of whom have already responded in faith to Christ and some of whom haven't. Galatians 6.10 puts it this way. It says that uh, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. So love for other people includes loving the household of faith, the people who are in the family of Christ already. But we're supposed to do good to everyone, love for everyone. And, And how is that love to be shaped Well, John says, hey, from the beginning, we've known this. Verse 6, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. If we want to know what a life shaped like love looks like, we, we listen to what God has commanded. So for Christians, we don't define love based on our feelings or our attitudes. We define them based on what God has said to us. John rejoiced to find that there were some Christians walking in this kind of truth. He reminded them how important it is to continue doing what they were already doing, loving one another, and then he warned them. He warned them to walk in the truth by challenging deceivers. Loving people is important. But not listening to lies about Jesus is also important. And that's what John says, right? It's very important that we walk in truth. And so verse 6 ends with this reminder, walk in it. Why? Because many deceivers have gone out into the world. Why is it so important that we walk in truth? Because a whole lot of deceivers have gone out into John's world and our world. What were they saying? Well, verse 7 continues to say, They are people who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now, John, in this context, is not talking about people who don't believe in Jesus, who don't confess that Jesus has come in the flesh. He's talking about teachers who would say, We are Christian teachers. And we have a new kind of advanced understanding of Jesus that goes beyond the basics. And we're going out to tell as many people as we can about this new advanced Christianity. How do we know that? Well, we know it because of verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't receive him into your house. That's how missionaries worked in John's world. There weren't hotels and conference centers to go to to put on your new Bible teaching uh, presentation. What you did was you walked to a village and you started knocking on doors and you knocked on the door of a Christian and you said, will you give me a place to stay and will you feed me? 
while I go out and teach people. And so John is saying, if anybody comes to your town and knocks on your door saying that they are a Christian and that they have this advanced teaching, uh, how do we know they might have called it advanced teaching? Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead, everyone who runs ahead, it's the language of advanced. We're going beyond. We're getting there faster than everybody else. There's a basic Christianity you've heard, and we're coming with a new message that's supercharged spiritual teaching in the name of Jesus. And John says, don't support that. If anybody comes to you and says, I am a Christian, and I don't think Jesus has come in the flesh, don't have anything to do with them. John says, their teaching is not advanced. In fact, he says, it's not even Christian. Verse 7, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Those are strong words. But John had to speak up. Why? Because this new advanced teaching denied what Jesus did. And in doing so, it eliminated the power for love. Let's talk about what Jesus did. Verse 7 summarizes it this way. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Now, when we read the ESV translation, we think it's talking about something that's going to happen in the future those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, we might think, oh, that's, that's the coming again of Jesus. No, John is talking about, if, if you want to summarize who Jesus is, then, then this is the heartbeat, that he is the one who comes in the flesh. He existed before all eternity with God, and then he came into our world taking on humanity. And he still has that humanity. Since his resurrection, the Son of God has and will forever, for all of eternity, have a human body. One that has been perfected by the power of the Holy Spirit, and so it is no longer susceptible to disease or death and joined to a soul that can no longer even be tempted by sin. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to share our humanity and then to win for us the kind of humanity that we long for. Why does that matter? Well... It means there's someone in this universe who gets us and who loves us enough to rescue us anyway. Someone who fully understands what it is to be human in this world. Someone who understands that a life of perfect love really can be lived out in this world. And yet, Jesus daily experienced what it is to be unloved by people in this world And he experienced forms of hatred more intense than you and I could imagine. He gets us and he rescues us. 
Orthodoxy is a word often used uh, to describe Christian belief. Is it orthodox? Well, the word dox means eh, teaching, doctrine. And ortho, like orthodontist, someone who straightens out your dance teeth, right? Ortho means straight. So orthodoxy has to do with with straight doctrine, walking straight. If we're going to walk in the truth, we should be walking straight. But left to ourselves, we will walk what is twisted. We won't walk straight. Left to ourselves, our practice will be twisted. We will love ourselves more than we love God. We will love ourselves more than we love one another. Left to ourselves, we will do that and we will experience all the consequences of that twisted way of walking. Left to ourselves, we won't believe true claims about Jesus and spiritual reality. Left to ourselves, we will get our doctrinal commitments twisted. And Jesus has to rescue us from that. Without his rescue, we would go on rejecting what is true and embracing what is false instead because often it's easier for us to do that. And often we would rather not surrender to Jesus. Jesus gets us. He fully understands that we are so twisted we would rather love ourselves than other people. And he fully understands we are so twisted we would rather reject the truth from him and substitute our own truth in its place. He gets us and still he loves us enough to rescue us anyway. Jesus Christ came in the flesh because he loves us. So we can say a bit more about why all of this matters. We know what John did. And he did it because he believed in what Jesus had already done. Why does this matter? This truth about Jesus, that he has come into our world to fully experience life in this fallen and broken place from our perspective. And he has come into our world to live a kind of life that none of us ever could have, perfectly loving God, perfectly loving his neighbor, And in doing so, to atone for all of our failures, laying down his life to experience judgment in our place and then taking up a kind of human existence that we could only long for, perfectly sound soul, married permanently to a perfectly whole body. Jesus has done all of that, and that truth about him is the only power for loving each other. I was talking to a friend earlier this week who said he'd been having trouble with his iPhone battery. It wouldn't hold the charge. So he went out, got a new one, slapped a new battery in. Everything's great. Works wonderfully. Takes a charge. Woohoo! And then his wife said, yeah, but he's still using a six in a 13 world. Hmm, if you're a 13 and everybody else is a 6, it's hard to love them, isn't it? 
who can only look down on them and pity them and wish that they were as cool or wealthy or hip. When you say hip, that proves that you aren't, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to love other people if you think that you're advanced and they basic, right? If you think that spiritually you are more mature than other people, it is hard not to look down on them. If you think that intellectually you are superior to others, it is very difficult to love them well. If you think that you are morally more advanced than your neighbors, you will find yourself despising your neighbors. We have to understand that if we were really advanced, Jesus would not have come into our world in the flesh to rescue us. If some of us were okay and some of us weren't, Jesus would not have come to offer rescue to the entire human race, to anyone who put their trust in him. Jesus didn't come with a disclaimer going, hey, some of y'all already got it and you don't need me. I'm here for the basic people. Jesus didn't stand at a safe distance saying, basically what you need is some more information. So let me stay up here in heaven and shout down the information that you need and then everything will be okay. We're so twisted and broken and capable of breaking others in our brokenness that he had to come into our world. None of us stands on a pedestal of purity looking down at other people. And if you're going, I heard you say that once before, and you were quoting from a guy named Francis Schaeffer, yes. He said pinnacle, I said pedestal. But you get the point. Knowing that Jesus had to come rescue me is the only thing that will keep me honest in loving you. It's the only thing that will make me know on a daily basis I am not superior to you. And then love becomes a real possibility. And now we're exploring something unique about Christianity. We're talking about this this approach to walking in the truth that includes believing truth claims. In this case, the claim that Jesus came into the world to rescue broken, needy, sinful, rebellious, twisted people. And we're to marry that to a lifestyle of humility and love and a readiness to lay down our lives for other people. Those two things fitting together, right doctrine lived out in right practice, There is a prideful kind of human religion that gets the doctrine right and the practice wrong. This prideful approach to religion that is quick to say, I am right and you are wrong, and therefore, I got my doctrine right, I am superior to you, and I am entitled to despise you. And if despise is too strong a verb, then maybe disregard you. I can tune you out of my life. 
Because I'm right and you're wrong. That's a prideful human approach to religion. Jesus never meant it. It is not walking in the truth. It is walking in this twisted self-righteousness. And then, because that's so ugly and awful, many in our world have said, well, let's do something different. Let's adopt a mindset that says, can we have the right practice without the right doctrine? This kind of relativistic spirituality Very quick to say all human beings are equals, worthy of dignity and respect. Very reluctant to say we know who's right and who's wrong. We're going to leave important stuff to everyone to work out for themselves. You work out what love is. You work out what's right and wrong. And we love everyone. And then there's this biblical truth about Jesus who radically marries these two commitments to one another. And Jesus comes into our world and he says, this may be hard to hear, but I am the only one who has ever been right. I am the only one who ever got walking in the truth perfectly right. I am right and the rest of you are wrong. But I can make you right if you trust yourself to me. I am right and you're wrong, but I love you anyway. I am right and you're wrong, but come to me. All of you who are burdened and weary, and I'll give you rest. I'm the right one and you're the wrong one, but I love you enough to come into your world to rescue you anyway. You see that combination of being right but not being arrogant. That's utterly unique in Christ. Was there anybody ever more right than the eternal Son of God? No. And yet, that was not lived out in arrogance. And Jesus teaches us to say, this is true and that is false. He lets us say, some people are deceivers. And the claims they make about Christianity are wrong. And don't listen to them. And if they want your support for their ministry, don't welcome them. Don't encourage it. This is true and that is false. And yet to say it with utter humility, with no sense of superiority or pride or arrogance, no sense of looking down our noses at those who can't get it right because they're basic and we're advanced. And with real readiness to do what has been done for us, Jesus paid a high price to love us. Are we ready to pay a high price to love other people even if they are wrong? The only thing that can produce that kind of combination in a human being, someone with enough courage to say, we are listening to the Lord of the universe tell us what is right and what is wrong, even if it makes us uncomfortable. And alongside that courage, a deep humility that says we don't have it all together. We aren't the perfect ones. The only thing that can produce that combination in a human heart is the power of being loved by Jesus Christ. If your Jesus never speaks to you about right doctrine, 
if he never says to you, this moral approach is wrong and that one is right. If he never challenges you on truth claims, then you probably aren't trusting the same Jesus Christ who has come in the flesh. And in the same way, if your Jesus never leads you to practice love for other people, I don't mean talk about it. I don't mean say you think it's a good idea. I don't mean stand on the difference and go, yeah, that was a cool thing Jesus did, but I'm doing my own thing. If your Jesus never leads you to actually practice love for other people, including other Christians, people who can sometimes be harder to love because they're closer to us, I don't know that you're listening to the Jesus who actually came in the flesh. But if Jesus leads you to say over and over and over again, Lord Jesus, because of your great love for me, I want to listen to every truth that you want me to learn. I want to embrace everything you say is true. I am listening. Teach me. And I want to love other people as you have loved me. If you're longing to hear Jesus say those things, I think you're a Christian. Maybe if you never knew it before this moment. And I think the Apostle John would say, I'm rejoicing greatly. Because that sounds a whole lot like walking in the truth. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord Jesus, we are twisted people. And that's a hard thing to say. Partly hard because there are a lot of great people in this room. And I want to be able to encourage them. And partly hard because I don't want to really believe that it's true of myself. But you love us enough to teach us the truth. Who, O oh Lord, could save themselves? Their own soul could heal. There is too much twistedness in any of us to fix ourselves. And yet you loved us anyway and came into our world. Time and space, flesh and blood. To do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Would you make us a people who are bold and courageous in affirming what you teach us through your spirit in the scriptures is true? And then make us a people who marry that to humble, self-sacrificing love for others. We pray in your name. Amen.